This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to episode 257 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. You guys may hear some children yelling and screaming in the background. It's uh, just them really just having fun. They are, and unfortunately we live in a state where it's against the law to like just go out there and put duct tape on their mouth and... <laughs> Had them under the deck for a couple of hours till we're done. So, it'll just add to the ambiance. Yeah. They're having fun. They're jumping on their trampoline out there. Kind of wish I was, actually. Go ask them. Well, I have to wait till we're done. Okay. First of all, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank all of you for doing what you do on a daily basis. You guys are the best, our angels on this earth, and we pray for you guys every day. We love y'all. Thank you for protecting us. Also, we want to make sure that people realize that it is a tough time. It's always a tough time. It really doesn't matter if it's COVID or something else. There's always something horrible going on in the news. Just read earlier there were nine cyclists in Arizona where a truck came through and plowed through nine of them. And oh my uh, some of them were in critical condition and there was... Storms up in Ohio, and it's just always something going on. And with news like that, how can you not struggle sometimes with just being positive? Mm -hmm. And if you need somebody to talk to, we're there for you. If you're definitely, if you're having any kind of serious thoughts on harming yourself, please don't. And contact somebody immediately. Talk to whoever, friends, neighbor, us, people in our group. We want you to stay safe. We want you to be in a good frame of mind. And uh, we want to try to help you any way possible. So if you need somebody to talk to and don't feel like you've got somebody, please reach out to us. Of course. If you would rather reach out to the 800 number, it's 800-273-8255. Or you can text at 741-741. We're always here for you guys. We'll, you know, just to even, don't even say a word. We'll just listen. If that's what needs to be done. Absolutely. Tracy, as usual, this episode is brought to you by El Yucateco Hot Sauce. It is the number one habanero-based hot sauce in the United States. Top 10 out of all hot sauces. And you can find it at most major grocers. And if for some reason your grocer doesn't have it, they need to get on the ball. You need to get on their microphone up there and say, hey, (laughs) we need some of that good hot sauce up in here. But if you can't. Get one at your local grocer. Go to elucateco.com. Order a plethora of stuff there from seven different flavors of hot sauce to all kinds of little uh, bottles of hot sauce that you can put in your keychain. They are so cute. They are so cute. They have plenty of nice apparel. They sure do. So you can get that. And if you put in Hillbilly Horror, you're going to get 10% off. There you go, guys. I have a big shipment of uh, giveaways that they gave us, and the ferrets got into the box last night and had it strewn 
all over the garage. <laughs> I had little bitty bottles of hot sauce and um, stickers and everything else all over the place. I had to go pick up. Yeah. They get into everything. They do. They're, They're like, so cute. Yeah. I'll give them some of that hot sauce and we'll see how they feel about it. <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> will it on, not. Put it on their food. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. It has been a while since been we've a done. While. Sorry. Now the show's stained. It has been a while since we've done a music episode. I know. I was so excited. Now, I want to preface this. A lot of the music episodes we've done, I've had people before, because like I told you, the music episodes are hit or miss. Mm-hmm. I've had people say, I absolutely love this. That's literally their favorite episodes, the music ones. But then I got people that absolutely hate the music episodes. Mm-hmm. And they tune out. And I'm talking to you, Rachel. <laughs> what the heck? I want people to know that... This is not our typical music episode. Yes, the, at, at the root, it's based on a musical group, but it's not like the occult type stuff like we do. It's just more weird coincidences and stuff like that. Mm. So I want people, to, if you if you don't like the music episodes, don't tune out because I got a feeling you're going to like this one. It's not the same as yeah. we've done. A little later in tonight's show, we have a special interview with Joshua Adia. He's a filmmaker and obviously a podcaster. He does animal paranormal on on uh, facebook so he's all over the place but he's uh he's doing a documentary tracy and i are lucky enough to be a part of and uh, you're going to get to hear from him a little bit later yeah give it a listen tracy this is going to be on the grateful dead curse and Ooh. there is two aspects of this there is the curse of the keyboard players and that's going to be the first thing we talk about tonight but there's another part that involves the fans of the show and some very mysterious deaths and missing persons and just weird stuff that's went on. And we're going to tie all that together. So that's why I said it's not like the normal music episodes. This is a more bizarre coincidences and missing persons. And so think about it more like a missing 411 show than. And you said players, right? Yes. Oh, geez. Yeah. Okay. Now, I'm going to admit right off the bat, I am not a Grateful Dead fan. I like a couple of songs, mm-hmm. but I would never go see them in concert. That's just, it's just not me. But as far as the band itself, they have this cult following, and I will never completely understand why they do. I know that musically, I don't think they're all that great, but I do know. That when the band started back in the late 60s, mm-hmm. early 70s, <laughs> they had built their following because the band was very big into hallucinogenic drugs. Yeah. Like LSD. Mm-hmm. And the fans like to kind of partake along mm-hmm. with this. And matter of fact, like in the, like wherever the concert was, the parking lots became almost like tailgating at a football game or something like that. Everybody, there was more fun going on outside in the parking lot than there was actually inside in the concerts. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. And I think that's kind of, kind of why they really started to have this big cult following with the fan base and everything. So maybe that is more about their cult following than the actual music. But, you know, you got people out there that really like the music too. I'm just not one of them. All right. So, so many people opted to follow the Grateful Dead all over the country 
and these very devoted fans became affectionately known as Deadheads. Deadheads, yep. Today, it's no different. They still have mm-hmm. the following like they did back then. So I guess I can see how that kind of lifestyle might be appealing to some people. Therefore, I can see why they developed this huge following, like I said, based on that, but not on the music. But like I said, I, if you love the Grateful Dead's music, I'm not putting them down. It's just not for me. There's probably a lot of bands that I like that you probably don't like, you know, or vice versa. Whoever's listening, everybody's got different taste. Because yeah. God forbid, I see one more person talk about that the Beatles are overrated. I'll be ready to snap. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's welcome to their opinion, no matter how wrong it is. So, <laughs> and you know what? I, I feel that way about Jimmy Buffett. Oh, Jimmy, I do too. But see, Jimmy Buffett is kind of the same way in a different way. I mean, when you go to a Jimmy Buffett concert, I mean, it's like sand everywhere. Yeah, he you makes just it, know you're going to have fun. He makes it like the It's the vibe he yeah, creates. Yeah, of course. And I think that's more about them. I mean, no, he's, he's turned literally four or five hit songs into resorts all over the world. Mm-hmm. To, you know, people showing up for these massive concerts and, but it's all about, that's his image. When you think Jimmy Buffett, you don't think Cheeseburger in Paradise. You just think about the beach vibe and all that. So he's managed to do that and I'm okay with that. All right. So like I said, we're not really going to spend a lot of time on the actual band tonight. So we're not, we're not going to talk about the Grateful Dead and how they got started and all this stuff. We'll mention along the way some stuff that, that is pertinent to the story and that's it. So we're going to start with the Grateful Dead keyboardist. It has been called by some rock and roll's most dangerous job. That sounds funny. Yeah, why would people say that? Well, the first four keyboardists died untimely deaths. Three of the four before their 38th birthday. Oh my gosh. That's terrible. Yeah. The first was Ron McCurman. Now, he was affectionately known as Pigpen. Pigpen? Pigpen. Jerry Garcia gave him that name after Pigpen from Peanuts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know why. Maybe he was just dirty all the time. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Garcia said that McKernan was a mediocre keyboardist, and he had a rough, unpolished voice, but he loved his rough edge persona, so he invited him to join the band. Mm-hmm. Now, what makes McKernan so important to the dead history is that he is the one in 1965 that suggested that they transition from a folk band, which is like Bob Dylan type music mm-hmm. and Peter Paul Marietta, to an electric band. Yeah. And that's really when they started, you know, getting their fan base. And he's the one that said, hey, this is what we should do. This is when, at the same time, most of the band started to experiment with psychedelic drugs. Now, McKernan, he wasn't one of them. He preferred Southern Comfort whiskey and Thunderbird wine. So he was a drinker, big Mm -hmm. drinker. His drinking, though, started to become a problem. And it made him very unreliable as far as doing the shows. It also led to some major health problems. In 1971, he was hospitalized with liver failure. He left the band in June of 1972. Less than a year later, at the age of 27, he was found dead. His apparent cause of death was listed as a gastrointestinal hemorrhage. Oh my goodness. Whew. Which that sounds terrible. I'm sure it was alcohol related yeah, because I mean, I'm sure. We uh cuz we lost someone mm-hmm. um, in the last year that was a, a big drinker and they said it was like a stomach 
aneurysm or something that happens a lot with right. people who drink a lot. So I'm sure that was alcohol related. And if you notice that age in there. Oh, yeah. 27. Mm-hmm. Now, we've talked about that. I don't know how many times right. the 27 Club. That's a shame. Now, back when he was going through his problems and missing some shows and mm-hmm. all that due to alcohol and when he got hospitalized, the band was forced to, to resort to finding a backup keyboardist. And for the time that McKernan wasn't there, they decided to use a guy by the name of Keith Godcho. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. Okay. He became the permanent replacement in 1972. Now, his wife Donna also joined the band, so both of them were in the band. The first three years with the band was primarily on the road doing live shows. Uh-huh. They, were, they were hitting it hard. The next three years, though, the band was taking a much-needed break, and there were some little side projects that were started by other members of the band. And during this time, Keith and his wife, Donna, they did some projects, and Jerry Garcia, the lead singer and, and lead guitarist, he would join them on, on a bunch of these little side projects. So they kind of did some stuff before. But in 1978, the band embarked on another tour, and Keith was having his struggles with drugs, anxiety, and depression. He literally nodded off while playing the keyboards at a few different shows. Oh, my gosh. Donna was also singing off-key. Oh, is that what she was, like a backup singer? I guess so. Okay. And both of them were fired in 1979. Keith and Donna formed a new group called the Heart of Gold Band. They had a rehearsal one night at, at, oddly enough, the Grateful Dead studio that they owned. Afterwards, Keith and a friend left and were involved in a car accident. Their car crashed right into the back of a flatbed truck. Mm -hmm. They had to take Keith to the hospital. He had major injuries, and he died a few days later from the results of these injuries at the age of 32 years old. Wow. Then he was replaced by Brent Midland. He had been the keyboardist for Bob Weir, who obviously is one of the founders and uh, rhythm guitarist for the Grateful Dead. And Garcia really liked him. And uh, he suggested, hey, why don't we get Brent to join the band? So Brent was actually a major contributor to the band. He uh, actually wrote a lot of songs and stuff like that, where the other keyboardists really weren't as involved. They were just particular yeah, you know, they they were members. Thing. Yeah. But Brent actually w- was actually a major contributor. In 1990... Shortly after completing the summer tour, he was found dead of a drug overdose in his home in California. He was 37 years old. What in the world? I mean, I would think after all this, I wouldn't want to be no keyboardist with them. <laughs> Something's happening. Well, and, and we'll get into some of that because, I mean, obviously, a lot of this is self-induced. Well, you know, that's but... true, yeah. So, that, get this, when, when, he was, when he passed away, Brent Midland passed away, they brought in a temporary replacement, a gentleman that you might have heard of by the name of Bruce Hornsby, <laughs> but he just was temporary. The permanent replacement was Vince Welnick. In 1995, though, he was diagnosed with throat cancer and then emphysema. Oh, man. He was able to beat the cancer, but the emphysema caused him some major problems. And in 1995, that's the year that Jerry Garcia died. And Welnick was overcome with depression 
and he attempted suicide while on tour with, with Rob Weir's band, Rat Dog Review. Later that year, he left the band and was never really mentally stable after that. And as a matter of fact, he died of suicide in 2006 at the age of 55 years old. I mean, he was that distraught over Garcia. Is that what you're saying? That was part of it. And then, like I said, I'm sure the drugs and the alcohol and all that played a part in there. Because, I mean, you know, if you're having trouble dealing with depression Mm -hmm. already, drugs and alcohol are just going to make it spiral even worse out of control. Self-medicating never helps. No, that is so sad. In such a waste, you know. I mean, all these good musicians and just horribly awful deaths. So you mentioned a while ago, why would anybody want to be the keyboardist? And I I said, you know, a lot of this was self-inflicted. And and I do want to say it's because I know that a lot of people listening will say, yeah, they went through a bunch of keyboardists, but most of these were drug or alcohol related. And this is true, but think about this. Up until Jerry Garcia died in 1995, the band basically had the same core components for 30 years Except for the keyboardist. Mm -hmm. You had Jerry Garcia, lead lead guitar and vocals, Bob Weir on rhythm. You had Phil Lesh on bass and Mickey Hart or or, uh, Bill Nutsman on drums. That was it. I mean, those players never really changed. Yeah. But yet they were going through keyboardists. Like crazy. Like crazy. Mm -hmm. So that's what makes it odd. Because don't act like the rest of the band when doing drugs and drinking. Well, that's very true. Because they were. But it seemed to really affect the keyboardist more than anybody else. So, pretty wild. Now I'm gonna feel stupid asking, but why did why did Garcia was it drugs that got him to? He died of a heart attack. Oh, he did. And we're gonna get not really so much into that, but there was a lot going on with him and the band at the time this happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, it, it, we'll get into a little bit more of that, but even a couple of months. The year of 1995 was a horrible year for the Grateful Dead. So. Uh, As we get into this, you're going to see what I'm talking about. All right, so that was the keyboardist part. Now we're going to tackle these mysterious deaths and missing person cases that have some type of a Grateful Dead connection. Now, not every one of these is going to be something, you know, that stands out, but it might be a small connection, and I'll explain as we go along. So let's talk about 95. We just did that. Jerry Garcia started receiving death threats. And as a matter of fact, this was, they were coming on the end of the tour. Two months later, after the death threats, is when he died of his heart attack. But check this out. In the 30 days before his death threats, deadheads had been struck by lightning at RFK uh, Stadium in Washington, D.C. He had two fans die of heart failure during concerts. A hundred deadheads were injured when a two-story pavilion at a campground in uh, Missouri collapsed during an electrical storm. Oh, dang. All that really happened within a month. That's And in two months after that, he passes away, Jerry Garcia. So, yeah, it was a pretty pretty rough tour. Well, I guess. I mean, you probably had all that stress on him with all them things happening, too, you know, with the other people. Right. I mean, I'm sure that affected him. And a matter of fact, the day that the uh, in the campground, when the pavilion had fallen mm-hmm. earlier that same day, two fans were found dead at that same campground of a suspected drug overdose. Hmm, man. Yeah, that that year needed to go away for sure. 
All right, so this first story we're going to talk about is one that will definitely make you scratch your head. Guess what year it happened in? 1995. Oh, duh. Should have been easy. Well, I should have known that. In 1995, a young man was killed in an auto accident in Virginia. He was found on the side of the road by police. Now, the victim had a note in his pocket addressed to Jason. And he had a pair of Grateful Dead tickets in his pocket, but he didn't have any ID. He was dubbed Grateful Doe as police tried to find his identity. The real problem here is that his face was so badly damaged from the accident that they couldn't release a picture. The coroner was able to determine that the young man was between 15 and 21 years old. The ticket stubs in his pocket was from the concert of June 24th and June 25th, 1995, and that's the same one where the three fans were struck by lightning just two months before Jerry Garcia died. The driver of the vehicle was a 21-year-old South Carolina man who also died in a crash, and they determined that he apparently had fallen asleep at the wheel. Dang. Here's the head-scratcher part. The young man was identified, finally, as Jason Callahan. Jason Patrick Callahan, to be exact. Do you have any idea how this problem was solved and how they figured out who he was? From the note? No, that did help, though. (laughs) Get this. His mother, Margarita Evans, from Myrtle Beach, 20 years after his death in 2015, filed a missing persons report. What? Her son had been missing for 20 years. And then in 2015, for some odd reason, she filed a report. What in the heck? She said that he had left for a Grateful Dead show at the time that the body was found. So that matched up. She did not explain why she'd waited 20 years to file the missing person report. But his name was Jason, and the note in his pocket said Jason. She said he went to the Grateful Dead concert at that time, so all of it matched up, and that's how they were able to do that. What is wrong with her? I have no clue. And and my, the other question I have that I tried to look up and couldn't find an answer to, he was in the car with a 21-year-old guy from South Carolina, did the mother not know him? Did she not realize? You know, because if that was a friend of his, a good friend, possibly. Yeah. Then maybe it's like, hey, I don't know where he went. And somebody's like, well, hey, John didn't show up either or whatever to where you could figure it out. Because they apparently knew that guy's name. Well, I mean, I can't even imagine what the police would be asking her. Like, why in the hell did you not report this 20 years ago? I mean, that is bizarre. I mean, I don't know what kind of relationship the kid had with his mom. I don't know if they were close. I don't know if he was, you know... Whatever the situation is, but... Yeah, but still, after you haven't had any contact with your kid for 20 years, you kind of be like, what the hell? Well, and I don't know what his situation is either, um, because maybe it was a situation where he was traveling around with the band. You know what I mean? And that's something that he told Mom, hey, I'm just going to travel around, and maybe she just thought, well, he just... Doing what he's doing. And well, never... I know, but still, as a mom, you would be—you would think your kid would check in oh, with I'm, you. I'm just trying to find some kind of logical answer why she took that long, but no, I don't. I can't. I can't see one myself. Yeah. Why you wow. would wait twenty that is, years? That's so. so crazy. So as I was saying, that's the connection. It's not like they did anything. Yeah. It's just 
He happened to have Grateful Dead tickets. He was known as Grateful Dead Doe. And that's how it fits in. These stories go all the way back to the early 70s, though. On July 27, 1973, there was a huge music festival in Watkins Glen, New York. Now, this was, at the time, the biggest music festival in history. Over 800,000 people Whoa. showed up. The Grateful Dead was one of the bands that were going to be performing there. 16-year-old Mitchell Weiser and 15-year-old Bonita Biquit, they left just outside of Brooklyn, New York, from their home to go to this music festival and have some fun. No one is exactly sure if they even made it to the festival. The couple failed to return home the following week. Now, part of the problem is that the festival, festival was about 75 miles or a little over an hour away. The couple wasn't driving. They were hitchhiking. That's never good. Once the news spread of the disappearance, then it hit the news and a truck driver had seen it, a long-haul truck driver, and he said that he saw the hitchhikers holding a cardboard sign saying Watkin Glen on State Road 97. No one at the festival ever reported having any contact with them, though. Well, how two, could you? Shit, 800,000 people. Right. And two thousand. Well, I guess they figured 800,000 people, if they made it to the concert, surely somebody would have recognized them. You yeah, know. I guess. In 2000, a man said that he was also hitchhiking from Watkins Glen that day. He was picked up by a man in a VW bus. And that man had also picked up this couple. He said the guy and the driver of the bus were completely uh, stoned out of their mind. They stopped at a river. He said that Beckwood fell into the river and Mitchell Weissen jumped in afterwards and the couple was quickly swept downstream. But there's no confirmation that what he's saying is true. Yeah, I was going to say, why would that not get reported? Well, but he says this, yeah, he and he's saying this in the year 2000, and this happened back in the 70s. So, I don't know if maybe they were just afraid that, I don't know. I don't know what oh, the, once again, gosh, how can you live with that? don't know what the reason would be. But, I mean, well, he didn't kill them if, if that's what actually well, happened. Well, I mean, would, I understand, but still, just to even know that's in the back of your mind and you didn't tell nobody. Right. So he told somebody, but he just waited 25 years or whatever. Now, next one we're going to talk about is Bridget Lee Pendle. Now, she lived in Plattsburgh, New York. She was married, a registered nurse, had a kid, 21 years old, right? She decided she's going to walk away from her entire life and become a deadhead and follow the band. You mean walk away from her kid and everything? Everything. Kid, career, husband, I don't know. She got really bad on drugs and started hanging out with the wrong crowd. And this was according to her family as she followed the band from state to state. In 1996, she moved to San Francisco. And at this point, she moved in to a hotel with another deadhead by the name of Cosmic Charlie Aldo. Mm, that's interesting. I doubt that's on his birth certificate. Uh, probably not. She was arrested for prostitution on April 7th, 1997. She didn't show up for her court date and has never been heard from since. Why in the world would you do such a thing? Why? I have no idea. Douglas Stephen Simmons. 
Now, he disappeared at a dead concert in Raleigh, North Carolina on July 10, 1990. He was seen by his friends at the Carter Family Arena. That's mm-hmm. right there in, in Raleigh. Now, they were talking, and he said that he was going to go out to his car to get something, but he never returned from his car. He was reported missing four days later, and he's never been seen since. Oh, my gosh. I cannot even imagine. I can't. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but it looks like Sinjas Han Nure. Now, he was from Santa Barbara. He'd been following the dead with some of his friends. He went missing at the age of 17 in 1995. Mm. He was on a Greyhound Rock Beach in Santa Cruz on April 27th. He told his friends that he was going to go for a walk and he never showed back up. Now, I don't have any real details, but I do know in January of 2015, there was a John Doe that had been in possession of the coroner's office since 1995. Wait. I don't know if it was the whole body or cremated remains or whatever, but it was positively identified as Sinja's Hanure. So it took, what, 20 years? But somebody positively identified him somehow. So he. How in the world could they do that? I don't know. I mean, just like the other guy that was, you know, he was uh, he was listed as a as a John Doe until his mom filed a missing persons report. Wow. So that's just amazing. So there's two different people yeah. now associated with mm-hmm. the Grateful Dead. Yep. That 20 years after they died were somehow identified. That makes no sense. The next person we're going to talk about is Jennifer Marie Wilmer. Now, this one's a little off, but I included it anyway. She's been missing since September uh, 13th, 1993. She was hanging out with a bunch of deadheads. That was like who her friend base was. She was last seen leaving her apartment on September 13th. She was 21 years old when she went missing and has not been seen or heard from since. That was a little bit of a stretch, but most of her friends were deadheads, Dead heads, so that's yeah. why I got included. Jacob Lip was 27 years old when he was last seen in Pittsburgh. This was December 16, 2012. He and his girlfriend, they'd been partying at, the, at this bar, having a good time. But apparently when they get out in the parking lot, they get into an argument. His girlfriend drives off, so he was left all alone in the parking lot. Video surveillance sees him walking at 3 a.m. back towards the bar. What happened to him after that is a complete mystery. He's not been heard from since. Nobody's seen him in the bar after that? Nope. He just disappeared off the face of the earth. This is really heartbreaking. So what does this have to do with the Grateful Dead, you're probably asking? Yeah. His description when he went missing, dreadlocks, chicken pox scar on his forehead, a handmade hemp necklace, and a black Grateful Dead t-shirt. I told you some of these are a stretch, but... Yeah. March 29, 2008. This man was out fishing near Isleton, California. 
Now he notices a box spring that you know from a mattress mm-hmm. laying on the side of the road over there that somebody had thrown along a ditch. That's not what drew his attention, though. It was the bones that was sticking out from underneath <gasps> of it. Stop. Authorities think that the body had been there for at least four years. The examination showed that the victim was a white or Hispanic female. and She was wearing a light-colored Grateful Dead jacket. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe in all those years nobody spotted that. That is strange. That is very strange. Last one. 1991 in Warren County, New Jersey... This lady, I don't have her name, but she was able to be identified by a tiger tattoo on her left leg. The same tiger that Jerry Garcia had on one of his guitars. Hmm. Man, that's just nuts. Makes you wonder, don't it? Yeah. So, a lot of, lot of bizarre coincidences is what I will choose to call them, but... Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Trust me, there are so many more. But, I don't know. And I don't know it's a stretch when you start talking about, well, this person had a Grateful Dead jacket or a shirt yeah, on, or right. this person hung out. But still, it's there are connect- they all had that one connection mm-hmm. somehow, some way, you know. Yeah. That's just really sad. I just, I just cannot even imagine somebody you know just vanishing like that. I know it. It's amazing that in today's world that just people just vanish. Not I get like in the park systems, you know, like the missing four one one. How somebody? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's cliffs, there's so many nooks and crannies, or yeah. dense woods. But just a person just to go missing in just a regular city mm-hmm. that seems almost impossible. Like you know, and a lot of the foul plays I'm sure involved. I mean, like the kid that went out to his car during the concert to get something and didn't come back. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody probably snagged him in a parking lot and robbed him and took him, but. You know, forensics are so good these days. It's almost impossible to think that you can hide a body or get rid of a body and not be caught. Yeah. But it happens. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, it happens too much. So, Tracy, we're going to take a quick break from our sponsor. Okay. And then we'll come back with some uh, info on shows and stuff. And we've got a cool interview with Joshua Adia Knight. He obviously has us in his documentary, Through Hell and Back. We're going to be on the second episode, which will come out uh, probably in a month, month and a half. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's already got the first episode out. It's it's uh, heart-wrenching to watch, and uh, we've talked about it before. We're going to talk about it a little more during this interview. Okay. Sounds great. All right, Tracy. So we got the Louisville show with We Drink and We Know Things and Brohio coming up August 21st. And that is, like I said, our five-year anniversary show. I'm trying to get a few little extra little... Uh, surprises along the way we'll see what happens but that's going to be a fun one so tickets are available we are almost half sold out already so that'd be cool we are almost completely sold out of saint augustine you might want to snag that and uh, obviously we've got memphis that we're doing it's a little private dinner show with just me and you there's only 25 tickets available for that one period and some of those have already sold then we're doing galveston with mysterious circumstances in uh, uh october and Leslie Fear and us are doing a show in Dallas. Dallas area. It's not actually Dallas, but it's Dallas area. Sounds great, man. Exciting times are coming. So, and then we still got the cruise and all that. I won't bore you with details on the cruise. 
But go to hillbillyhorrorstories.com and you can get information and tickets for all of those shows. What do you got going on over there? All right. For iTunes, we have Mojo Lobster, Neezer413, John Scarcella, and Dory Jewel. Now, I would like to say something about Dory. She left us a two-star, which, whatever, that's fine. But I happen to think she's got the wrong podcast. Yeah, I don't necessarily think she's talking about us or she's maybe confusing us and a couple other podcasts together. Yeah, because she said something about us doing an interview while somebody was in a helicopter. Yeah, and how stupid was that? Okay, you go here's ahead. Here's what the review says. And like I said, it's not it's not that we got a bad review. It's that it doesn't really seem as much like us. It says, let down. Was expecting horror. It's more of a paranormal podcast, which is okay if that's what you're seeking. But I didn't consider it horror. Okay, fair enough. Just about the only good thing I can say is the accents are warm and welcome. And since I'm from Kentucky and a country girl myself, I enjoyed that. Sound quality is low. Listen to a few paranormals, then skip to one of the true horror stories about shootings in Malibu, which we've never done. No, A story about shootings in Malibu. I think it might have been a promotion for another podcast. In any case, that sound quality was even worse, as the host spent much of their time interviewing someone in a moving helicopter. What the H? How did they think that would be a good podcast idea? Horrible sound quality. Anyway, if you're seeking a paranormal podcast, this might be an okay one. But I felt let down unsubscribed. First of all, she gave us an egg review. If she thinks that we got another podcast that was on the show, and she's basing giving us a bad review for their bad sound quality on a helicopter. Okay, yeah. Who in the world would do an interview with somebody on a helicopter, number one? Yeah, I honestly... Uh, I have no clue what she's talking about. Now, it's possible we, we might have ran um, a promo for another podcast because sometimes we do that. We'll put it, you know, an extra episode, and that's probably the case. But I just thought it was awful weird. That, uh, I thought it was a strange review, is what it is. <laughs> I know me and Jerry were kind of looking at each other like, wait, what? Was it, yeah. Did I miss that interview or what is the heck is going on? But that's okay. Um, just. Don't do it again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, so what do you got? What else we got going on? We got uh, some Patreons for this week. Ah, uh, we do. Well, did I? Oh yeah, I didn't finish all the iTunes. I'm sorry. Well, anyway, thank you guys for your nice reviews. We really do appreciate that. Um, our Patreons this week is Aaron Bedone. I hope I said that right, sweetheart. And April Morgan. Thank you guys so much for your support, and we just love that you guys are listening, and hope you guys are enjoying it. And you know, keep those iTunes reviews coming, good or bad. You know, we love to get them. We love you guys. Absolutely. All right. Let's listen to Joshua Adia. Hey, guys. I am excited to have on Joshua Adia. Uh, Joshua was nice enough to have us on his show a little while back. Uh, you might know him as The Animal. And uh, his his show is uh, it was pretty fun to do. And, and we were excited to be on. But, man, Joshua's got so much else going on. He's got the documentary that he was so, so nice to invite Tracy and I to be a part of through Hell and Back. If you didn't see the first episode out there, I'm going to have him tell you a little more about it. But that first episode 
is gut-wrenching. Uh, the episode with Tracy and I, and it will be out in a couple of months. But, man, this is a, a five- or six-part series that that's just literally people who have overcome the odds. And uh, like I said, it, it dives in perfectly and fits in with the stuff that, that we are 100% uh, in as far as mental health and uh, suicide prevention and all that. And, uh, Joshua, I want to I thank you for not only inviting us to be a part of it, but just for doing it period, because I think it's something that's going to help a lot of people. Yes, totally agree. So let's talk a little bit. We're going to get into a little bit of everything because you do yep. a lot of stuff. But <laughs> Try to at least. <laughs> let's first talk about your paranormal show and where we're at with that today, because I know there's been some changes. Tell me a little bit about uh, what's going on uh, with the uh, the animal show as we knew it and what it is today. Um, well, it all started just, you know, you know, my passion for the paranormal. Number one, I've been doing, I've been in the paranormal pretty much my whole life. Um, just been, you know, seeking out the truth, going to haunted locations. And I was talking to a buddy of mine that I've been paranormal investigating for about pretty much 20 years. Uh, I would say pretty much 20 years now, but, um, I told him, I was like, you know, how, what would it be like just to start my own paranormal show? And he's like, why don't you just do it? You know? So I'm like, okay. So I used the animal, you know, I thought it'd be cool. Cause that's my old biker name that I had back in the day and called it animal paranormal uh, live and been doing it ever since I was doing it on a weekly basis, but now that we have a special addition to the family, now it's been kind of like, once a month now kind of thing going on right now just you know having a guest here and there when when i'm available pretty <laughs> much you know when life gets busy you know it's just you got so much going on right now and it's like you know but you know life is great i can't complain i love it i'm excited and you know a lot of good things are happening in the future so you never know where animal paranormal live will what will be the birth of amazing things well, let's talk about the birth of amazing things. First of all, congratulations on the uh, the baby. Thank you. Thank you. Let's talk about through hell and back. Tell me about how how that got started and what your has it turned out to be what the vision was originally or uh, you know, cuz sometimes things change from a creative standpoint as you get going. But tell me what you were wanting to accomplish, and if, do you feel like that you're on track to do exactly what you wanted with that first uh, episode being out? Well, how it actually started is um, down in the area called Fort Myers, downtown Fort Myers in Florida, there's a big, the homeless population down there is big. It's, I don't, uh, it's, I don't know if you've ever been there, but there's like tents galore of people just living on the side of the road, and it's it's crazy right now because ever since COVID has started, you know, people have lost their jobs and they've gone homeless. And it's not just one person. Usually you'll see one person, you know, on the side of the road holding a sign. This is families, you know, families, what mother, father, son, even their animals. And it's just like, it something hit me, you know, that's why I was like, you know, what if I did something like a documentary that could help people like, in this homeless kind of aspect, but then it kind of changed from there after that, because then suicide awareness came after that. 
And I came to the point where I was like, you know what? The suicidal awareness is huge right now. So many people I'm hearing on the news are committing suicide bigger than this pand uh, bigger than the pandemic that's happening right now. Suicidal is like one of the most leading but number one or the top 10, you know, cases today of people just, you know, on a suicide, you know, just killing themselves. And it's sad. It's just, so I thought in my heart, you know what, I could always push the homeless thing aside and I just want to be aware of suicidal awareness. And that's, that's how it all came about. Yeah. During the, uh, the, the shutdowns and the, and the, uh, more or less the staying at home for the pandemic suicides went up 600% from what there had been the year before. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a sad time right now. It's, it's like, like you said, it's like number of the top 10 or the number one right now. And just, I hear every day on t television and on the radio, I listen to talk radio every morning before I go to work. And it's just, I always hear something happen where someone just, you know, commits suicide and it's just sad. It's, and it, actually it's talked more than, you know, the whole coronavirus deal that's going on right now. So it's, it's, I thought it would be amazing to do something to tell people stories about their life and what they went through. What is their hell and how did they get through it? And how did they come back from that? You know? And I was hoping maybe, you know, Maybe people need to hear the message out there, a message of truth, a message of power, uh, a message where they could be hit hard and know that people care about them. So you got one episode out. I know you're yep. trying to get it out on other platforms, but right now, where can people go to watch that that first episode? Uh, you can watch it on my Facebook page on Animal Live, or you could catch me on my YouTube, subscribe on Animal Paranormal Live. Uh, just hit subscribe. And you can find me there, and you could uh, check it out. Check the first episode. Yeah, it's like, like I said, it's very gut-wrenching. There's a young lady on there who, man, it's like as she keeps telling her story, you're thinking, there's no way that it could get any worse. And then it does, and then it does, yeah. and then it does again. And to see, to see how she triumphed hmm. and, 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 and trust me by everything she went through, just being here yeah. is a triumph. Yeah. And, but to see that she came out on the other side and things are looking up for her, that's what that whole uh, documentary is about. It's about showing people don't give up because when you make it through and you will make it through, if you keep trying, things are just only going to get better. Uh, I thought yeah. the first episode was riveting. It, uh, it, like I said, it, uh, it brought a tear to my eye and, and I can't imagine anybody watching it that it wouldn't do the same. Well, just putting it together, it, it was like you said, gut wrenching and it wasn't easy to put something together like that because when you're trying to do some editing and, you know, the, um, <clears throat> I mean, her story is a lot longer than that. And she even says it mentions it, that there's so much more that she hasn't even mentioned in the documentary. And it's just gut wrenching. It's just, it's crazy, but it's, she's alive today to tell her story. And that's the beautifulness of it is that it's going to help other people go through that same issue of what she went through. And people are just gonna, you know, be happier just knowing that 
she is alive today telling a beautiful story. Now, like, uh, I was correct in, in saying that this is going to be a five or six part series, correct? About, yeah. Okay. Because I know you don't have a complete ending set. You've got still, it's a work in progress. So, yeah. you know, you're releasing oh, yeah. an episode at a time. Yep. It's a lot of work. <laughs> All right, Joshua, let's talk about this. You, you do a lot of very cool stuff. Uh, and some of this ties into the paranormal uh, and you had brought up one that I want to talk about. You like to go explore uh, deep sea diving, ex exploring ships and stuff like that. And yeah. there's some paranormal that ties into that. Tell me some stories that involve uh, some diving in the paranormal. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's not like your normal paranormal investigation on land. This is underwater. This is, you know, you got to train for this. You got to take courses and to know, cause it's, it's a diving, it's, it's a dangerous, it's, well, I shouldn't say sport or hobby. I mean, it's, I, I guess you could say activity, it's activity, <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's dangerous and you have to prepare yourself and you have to know what kind of gear you're going to use you know to be safe you know and around others if you have other divers but it's it's exhilarating and it just the adrenaline rush just going there you never know what you're going to see especially on a shipwreck um for instance um uh, we just we did a uh, paranormal investigation underwater at a shipwreck and it was just crazy seeing all these anomalies of these lights these ball of lights that came out of nowhere and it's not from the sun because it was more kind of like a, of a towards a night dive so there's not really that light that shines when you're especially if you're 100 feet deep so these balls of light that just like orb size maybe bigger but it's just it's just exhilarating to see something cool like that in a shipwreck that you know that could be paranormal mm. And and you were telling me that you guys are going to go out to the Bermuda Triangle and do some stuff in the future, right? Yeah, we want our goal is right now is we want to discover stuff that people are looking for that hasn't been discovered yet. You know, we want to find shipwrecks and knit and present it to people, you know, if people are missing or shipwrecks were missing, we want it to be like scientifically known to out there for people so what that's what our goal is is to you know find these shipwrecks find treasure hunting or whatever it is that we're out there looking for you know you never know like this the sea out there is huge so you never know what you're gonna find you can find a train car you can find a plane you can find like ships uh anything so you know it's it's an adventure i'm curious as to why there would be a train car out there <laughs> uh never know. there's actually there's actually i think it's key west i can't remember what don't quote me on that but it, i think it is there actually was tr uh sunken train cars where they put down for a reef uh just so divers could dive it you know take cool pictures and all oh, okay that. well that makes sense like that i was thinking damn it you know that's not gonna fall off a track that's out there laying <laughs> on top of the water no, no, no. It's uh, sometimes they do that with shipwrecks, like uh, like the Spiegel Grove up in Key Largo. Uh, what they did with that, I was actually one of the first divers to be able to dive that wreck when they uh, sunk it. What they do is that when they retire a ship, like a naval shipwreck, a ship or something like that, 
they'll uh, do this kind of, you know, they'll pretty much poke holes in the boat and they sink it. So it could be an actually an artificial reef for divers. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Tell me how you got started with the diving thing. Cause I know, I, I know some of the backstory, but I want other people to hear it. So tell me a little bit of how you got started and some of the stuff you've had to do. You've actually been called out. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but haven't you been called out on sites where actually they're missing bodies and they're trying to relocate uh, them and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Well, also we, we also, um, get cars out of water too which i was actually just on one a week ago where a car actually went into the lake and we had to get it out we pulled cars out of the lakes or missing bodies but um how i started diving was my actually my dad he he was a navy diver and a dive instructor so he was pretty much my teacher the whole you know from the whole get-go of scuba diving but, um, you know, growing up, I kind of like was in and out of diving. So at a young age of 13, you you know, you're more into like being with your friends and not really kind of doing that stuff unless if you really have to, you know, with your parents. So that's pretty much how diving got. And then the older I got, diving became really like I lo- started loving it. And, you know, just the adventure of it, just, you know, knowing that there's stuff out there that you could see. So that's how pretty much my dive career, you know, started. So, yeah, it's, 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 I love it. It's, it's exciting, exciting stuff out there. Who knows what we'll find. During one of your dives to try to locate a body, have you actually found one and had to participate in pulling it out? Um, There was one time where we did find one, but it, I wasn't participated in pulling it out because when you find a body, you have to call, you know, the, the police out. So they could do their investigation because you can't really touch, touch it. So, cause it's like, it's a crime scene, right? Pretty much. So you have to let the proper authorities to take care of it first before you do anything else. Wow. Let's talk about your your enthusiasm when it comes to the paranormal. What got you started in the paranormal uh, process? Um, got started as a kid. You know, when I was young, I started seeing just shadows and just these weird things and objects when I was a kid. And I've always been interested in it. I was like, you know, people see these paranormal things on television and horror movies and stuff. And I'm like, you know, as a kid, I'm like thinking, wow, if, if people, you know, if they're doing movies about it, maybe, you know, but it's not like the movies, it's totally different. So it's as a kid, you're like hoping something like you'll see this, huge monster popping out or something like that but no it's it's totally different in the paranormal world but um you know it's just i just kept being fascinated with it and ever since then you know growing up i'm still am fascinated but i'm more in the paranormal realm i'm not really doing much investigating right now because i'm more into right now with my filming so i'm kind of like here and there on paranormal investigations and more and doing focusing on my filming and adventures of diving and pretty much that's it I have been doing lately. What's the scariest time that or a scariest occurrence that's happened during one of your investigations? 
Well, I actually did one about a year ago. At, uh, it was in Tennessee. Uh, I think it's a, it was a prison up there. I can't remember what it's called. Up in the mountains there. I can't remember the exact name of it. I'll have to look it up. But um, I had a paranormal experience where I pretty much saw a person be grabbed and slammed on the floor and grabbed backwards by their feet. I've never seen anything like it before in my life, seeing a person being lifted up the air and it scared the crap out of me because I never (laughs) thought something spiritual, something like that, you know, that's not there that could actually pick up a person. And, you know, and when you see something, it's like, it's like, this is something from a movie, you know, you don't, you don't see that on a daily basis. You, you normally see like, oh, somebody tugging on your shirt or you see a door open or shut or an operation or EVP or stuff, something like that. But nothing where someone's being actually lifted off the floor and slammed on the ground and grabbed backwards from their feet. And that was probably my most um, paranormal experience I've had in, in a very long time. Have you ever felt like that something followed you home? Um, there's in well, my my house where I live right now is haunted. You know, I have paranormal experiences every day. So I've I've probably had stuff that has followed me home, but I'm so used to my house being haunted, it doesn't really, you know, <laughs> I, I really don't pay attention to it. So I'll hear noises in the middle of the day or you know, instance like I've had an instance where I'll come home and all of a sudden no one's home and the refrigerator's open and a whole bunch of uh, stuff of food is in the middle of the floor. And you're like, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> you know, like the stuff just doesn't come out by itself. So it's like, it's, it's just, it's just weird stuff that happens like that. So it's funny. We just did a story on uh, our little uh, YouTube channel uh, under the Hillbilly dead time story. We just did a story about, similar thing happened and it was it was in a house and it was a, a house that had been made into three apartments and the lady downstairs wow. and the main floor were both having problems with the refrigerator coming open and everything being pulled out or stuff being pulled out of the cabinets so it's a, it's amazing how often these ghosts want to mess around with your dietary situation <laughs> <laughs> you know they'll be like sorry you're eating this <laughs> yeah. Wait, where do you get that ghost that's vegan and gets really pissed off when <laughs> where's all this meat <laughs> uh, i'll screw that <laughs> <laughs> so your house is haunted now how long have you guys lived there uh, we've lived here about a year and a half, about a year and a half now. How long did it take you to notice that there was something off? Um, probably about the first week. Nice. The what was the first week. thing that happened? Do you remember? Uh, we've had like, like voices of screaming and stuff like that. Um, my wife has been scratched once. Um, that was just the only incident of being scratched, but like, other than that, um, just, you know, noises, doors would like open and shut by themselves right in front of us. And we'll hear people outside of our door. That's no one's there. Um, just, just a whole bunch of weird stuff. There's this girl that pops up an apparition of a girl that'll pop up here and there. So. So do your, what your wife Has she had had experiences before this? Uh, You know, what does she think about the whole paranormal aspect? Uh, She's used to it, 
now because I do a lot of paranormal paranormal stuff and just a lot of adventures uh, she's pretty much used to it but before like we've met she's told me stories where she used to live that the kids would get spooked and um her kids would get spooked because they would say that there's a man in the closet they would have weird stuff moving around and it's just a lot of a lot of crazy activity they would experience before like i've even known known her before we got married did the kids experience anything at this new house or has it just been you two? Oh yeah. They experience, they, they'll hear noises. They'll see shadows. They'll, they'll pretty much like me though. <laughs> they pretty much ignore it now. Cause they're getting older. They're at that age where they're like more, you know, want to be with their friends and not worry about the other stuff that goes on in the house. <laughs> you know, honestly, that's the way I was. I mean, even though I was a little bit older, you know, yeah. it, it got to be something that, you know, you just after the initial shock wears off, you just just it's just part of everyday life. And yeah. uh, when you tell people who haven't experienced that, they can't imagine that that could ever be normalized. But it mm-hmm. does. It is. And it, it's it's crazy. Like there'll be some days where it's totally quiet in my house and there's no paranormal activity. And then the next day we'll start getting a door that will open and shut by itself. And it'll be like crazy. It'll be like a madhouse. <laughs> I can remember uh, in my bedroom, if if I wouldn't in the mood and something would happen, because I used to get this whispering through the ducks, uh, the mm-hmm. duck work of the house. And you could hear two or three different voices. You could always make out it was males and females, but you never could understand what it was saying. And it's, you know, I think we, we came to an understanding that uh, there would be times where it would start up and I would just say, look, I'm not in the mood right now. I've got, you know, other stuff going (laughs) on and it would stop, you know, and then other times I would just let it happen. So I I literally think we came to a conclusion uh, and an agreement with each other that, you know, if I said it was not good, they left it alone. And then other times I just allowed it to happen. So, and some people, when I tell that story, they're like, you're full of crap. (laughs) And you can think that if you want to, but I've talked to several people that have had the exact same scenario. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's crazy, man. It's, you never know what day, you know, the moods they're in or they feel like pulling fluid out of the refrigerator. (laughs) 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 They might be hungry one day. They might not be the next day. (laughs) Yeah, they're pulling out chicken and stuff because they're poultry guys. You never know. <laughs> I'm sorry, don't hate me. Um, <laughs> so we had a chance to meet uh, yes. Tracy and I. Got a chance to meet you in in Gatlinburg when we were filming for your documentary. Mm-hmm. And you know, as far as we didn't get a chance to meet your family, but hopefully you guys are going to be able to make it up to the St. Augustine show in September. And, yeah. uh, you know, if you do, obviously, as I, I think I might have told you, if I haven't, then I'm telling you now that uh, if you guys make it up, you're, you and your wife and the family can be guests of ours. I don't want you buying tickets. Got plenty of room for you. But huh, if you, if you, co- if, if you come up, I mean, we'll be uh, thrilled to be able to meet your wife and, and kids if they come as well. Yeah, that'd be awesome, man. St. Augustine, that's, a, that's another place that's a, a good spot of paranormal activity. Yeah, I was watching, and this was just completely random because, uh, but right before I came up, I was watching the top 10 places to live in Florida. It was some YouTube video that a guy had done. And uh, he had St. Augustine, I think, listed at number four 
Oh wow! On, on his, it was number four, number three, but he had all kinds of crazy stuff that went into. Not crazy. I mean, it was you know cost of living and crime factor and uh, medium income and housing uh, uh, medium price and stuff. You know, so it was a lot of stuff in there. But uh, yeah, he had Saint Augustine listed as uh, as number. I think it was number four. And uh, I thought, man, I, I would love to live in St. Augustine. And uh, Jacksonville actually was up there at uh, in his top five as well. So, I mean, you, it was right there, two cities right next to each other, basically. Yeah. There's a place that I went to a long time ago in Florida. It's called Casadega. I don't know yep. if you've heard of all it, the psychics and the mediums and yep. all that. I stayed in one of their haunted hotels and right behind that hotel is uh is called the devil's chair or whatever it's yep. called. I can't remember, but um, that place was crazy in itself. The paranormal activity. Um, if, if, if anybody just go and visit it because it's, it's, you'll have an experience there. It's pretty interesting place. You have to go there for yourself to experience because I can't really explain it to you. And unless you go there. Yeah. Casadega, every, Every person who lives in the town is a mm-hmm. psychic or a medium. Yep. Yep. So pretty, that's a pretty cool concept when you think about it. It's go, it's goes all the way back to, mm-hmm. uh, if I can remember correctly, cause I'll probably say something wrong, but it was some people from up North. I want to say maybe Boston area yeah, uh, where they wanted to have a place where they could go during the winter time and be able to do this. So that's how they, they came down and started it was mm-hmm. that way. And it was just a way to be able to have meetings during the winter and, all that and then it ended up turning out to be a, a year-round thing and people just move into it and so there you go it's kind of like a salem a florida yeah. salem pretty much and i think there's not that many people that live there and there are only like 40 or 50 people that live there but they're all psychics and mediums i can't remember it's been a long time there might be more now i it's it's been i think it's been like seven years seven or eight years maybe longer than that but um there wasn't uh that many people when i went what part of Florida is that in? It's it's like in the oh, middle, right? It's not, I think like, it's not a, too far from Orlando. Not too far from Orlando. Yeah, I think it's like mid Florida. So. But I have to, yeah, I have to look that up. But yeah, Casadega, check it out. Definitely, that's a place to go to. Joshua, how can people keep up with you if they want to check out and and keep up on the progress? Uh, check me out on Animal Live on Facebook. Uh, like I said, YouTube, Animal Animal Paranormal Live. Subscribe. You can check out all the stuff I'm doing. You can check them on shows, Animal Live, um, on my podcast. I'm doing once a month for right now. But, yeah, it's pretty much where you can check me out. You can check me out on Facebook. You know, I'll, sometimes I'll do some live where I'll just, you know, show you what I'm doing with my films and pretty much it. Well, brother, I appreciate everything you do. I know you're going to get uh... – you know, I don't know about the financial gain of it, if that'll ever work out or if there will ever be any, but, but I know that's not your concern. I know yeah. your concern is helping people. Yeah. Uh, but, but I hope that someday you can actually get some monetary success for all the good that you're doing out there. Yeah. Well, my plan is uh, with the film is I would love to show this documentary at a haunted location and to raise funds for suicidal awareness. I would, that's my plans right now is trying to find a place where I could do a showing at a haunted location, which would be pretty cool. Well, you know, we'll help you out any any way we possibly can. I appreciate that brother. All right. Joshua Adia, animal paranormal live. 
look them up on Facebook uh, and uh, definitely go watch this first episode of, you know, I, I, I want to say it takes a lot. It takes a lot for you to do what you're doing, because I know from what we do to sit and listen to these stories, to put it together from the documentary through hell and back. It's, it has to take a mental toll on you. It, it does. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of emotional, uh, emotionality where it's, it, it hits you. It hits you in the heart because you're, you're feeling, you know, their experience. You're kind of like with them on a, this roller coaster ride with them and it's very emotional and it you tend to tear up just when when uh you're watching it it's 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 a roller coaster check it out trust me you'll you'll understand when you watch it it's i'll make sure that when we air this episode that i repost it on our uh, group and our page too so everybody can see it so they don't have to worry about digging too far for it but uh awesome dude i appreciate it thank you so much for thank all you, you do Thank you guys so much for everything you do. That wraps up this week. And uh, we're excited. We got we got good things coming. Oh, yeah. I forgot to say Happy Father's Day to all you lovely, beautiful souls out there. Yeah, because it definitely is Father's Day today. Yep. And enjoy your loved ones. I wish my daddy was still here so I could give him some good loves and hugs and kisses. But he's in my heart. So, y'all enjoy your daddies. And um, we hope you guys have a blessed week. <laughs>